Hello, this is the Atlanta Storytellers Podcast. My name is John Carr. There are so many great literary shows, poetry shows, and storytelling shows here in Atlanta. So many amazing artists producing incredible work that lives and sometimes dies at these performances. This podcast is designed to capture that work and share it with the rest of the world. And so, here are some of those stories. My name is Rita Nicole Leslie, and this piece was done for Wright Club. And uh, the prompt was for me was bone. This is about, I'm a caretaker for my mother for over like 20 years, and this is just about our relationship. We tell ourselves stories to help us make sense of the concrete, to pass on tradition and share anecdotes of cultural significance. This is the foundation and essence of what makes us who we are. It's in our DNA, but our bones tell a different story. Our bones carry us and keep our secrets long after we're gone like tree rings. Voodoo priestesses used bones in their incantations to heal or to harm, to heal or to harm, to heal or to harm, to mend or bend but never break. Strong people don't always have strong bones. And that's okay because my mother will always be on a pedestal even though sometimes I have to help her stand. Her name is Josephine, but her fans call her Joe. You heard right, she has fans. People fall at my mother's feet. I'm convinced it's some sort of Leo sorcery. Growing up, she used to say that Leo stood for let's eat out. She is a spitfire and an enigma. Every day for almost 20 years, the routine is the same. The medicine is on a 12-hour cycle, 9 a.m. and again at 9 p.m. There are 10 to 11 pills that need to be taken in the morning and 5 at night. Prograph regulates kidney function. Myfortic is an immunosuppressant. Losartan lowers blood pressure and improves blood flow. Genuvia is for diabetes. Prednisone is a steroid. Spironolacticone removes excess fluid from the body. And Plavix prevents blood clots from forming. I know, I know that aspirin at the end is like ordering a Diet Coke at the end of a fast food order. I come from a medical family. My older sister is a physician and my mom was an ER nurse. She scrubbed on the first open heart surgery in the city at Grady. Me? Well, I'm a doctor, psychiatrist, nurse, and physical therapist by default. Initially, people don't know that I'm a caretaker for my mom. They assume, like most folks, they just think I'm codependent. And in a way, maybe I am. We need each other. I keep her young and she keeps me wise. This is God's plan. You better recognize. Joe had me when she was nearly 40. It was my dad's first kid and my mom's third. I've got siblings to the left and siblings to the right. But if you ask me, I'm an only child. Because at the end of the day, it was always just me and my favorite girl. Growing up, I called her mommy dearest. She was going through menopause and I was going through puberty and our house was a war zone. She's the funniest person I've ever met. I was having a bad day, so I asked her for a hug and she said, I'm good. So naturally, I scream laughed. Sarcasm is definitely our love language. I pour ice cold water from a glass bottle with a wire clasp and a plastic top like the fancy restaurants use. Must keep kidney hydrated. 
Joe had a kidney transplant in 2006 and spinal surgery one week later. It was the first indication that the person I had been calling mom might actually be a superhero. She's been through so many surgeries, I call her Robo-Mom. I bought a fun cup with a built-in spiral straw the other day. The elder care blogs tend to read very much like the mommy and me blogs. Get them something fun to drink out of if they're resistant. I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't need any help. I can do it myself. Your mom and your toddler speak the same language. Now what? When you get older, they say that you revert back to a childlike state. I'm the mom now, I say triumphantly, as she cracks a smile and asks me exactly how far along I am. Now I'm snort laughing in this quiet-ass doctor's office. We genuinely enjoy each other's company. I always thought it weird when people would commend me for taking care of my mom. You're doing something you're supposed to do. Like a bird just flies and a fish just swims, right? Every time that doctor called my mom frail, I furrowed my brow in preparation for battle. Frail? Who says such a thing to the daughter of a warrior? Frail? This woman may be small, but she's mighty. She may be delicate, but she is a force. Her steps may be slower, but they're deliberate. Having been a nurse, she almost knows too much. Frankly, I think she has more faith in modern medicine than she should. But I'm a witch, so I worry that I won't be nearly as brave when and if I'm touched by chronic illness. They poke, they prod, they prick, they stick, they draw blood and iry. Testing, testing, this is only a test, a crapshoot, a very expensive, medically covered, educated guess but it's still only a test. We are each other's backbone, fused together as one. We hold each other together through trial and tribulation, through triumph and elation. As we age, our bones get heavy like anvils. They pump you full of trash like landfills, all them pills and you still ill. We can't imagine ourselves as babies or elderly toddlers. It's a built-in safety mechanism, I suppose. Who are we if not able-bodied and independent? No one prepares you for the end of your caregiving duties. It's finite. I remind her here and there that it's been an honor to care for her to return the cosmic favor. The inevitable is ever present. Caretaker guilt is complicated. I can't imagine other people taking care of her. How will they know that she eats lemon halves with salt like a complete psycho? I cannot imagine my life without her. Who's going to refuse my affection and give me a once-over before I leave the house? Take off at least one accessory, she always says. She is my best friend. We have grown into each other, fused like vertebrae. She sees me. And while she may not always understand my motivations, she supports me anyway. People forget that it's not a given that your parents have to like you. We disappear as we age. The world notices you less and less. Fading away, bones becoming brittle, breaking, fractures, aches, pains, cracks, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, until you become a memory. It's 9 a.m., and she's already awake. I say, hey, Joe, it's nice to see you. And looking out the window without missing a beat, she says, it's nice to be seen. My name is John Good. I am a writer of all things, poems, stage plays, 
uh, ransom notes, all of it. <laughs> so uh, this is a poem it's entitled Mastectomy. It's dedicated to two people. Uh, the first being a lady I met on a motor train while I was heading to heading to work. She'd had a mastectomy recently, had one of her breasts uh, removed due to cancer. And she was so upbeat and so positive and so inspiring. And I was rumbling and grumbling on my way to work. And I thought to myself, who am I to complain when this person is, is literally fighting for their life? And the second is my great-grandmother, who at uh, the age of 60 went to the doctor. And they told her that she had breast cancer. And she said, is that so? And the doctor said, that is so. And she said, are you sure? And the doctor said, I am sure. And she said, okay. So she put her shirt on and she came on home. And when she got home, we said, Granny, did you go to the doctor today? And she said, I did. And we said, well, what did the doctor say? And she said, don't you know that man tried to give me cancer? And she just kept on living and lived to be 100 years old and did not die of cancer. Mastectomy. And she, and she was the definition of beauty. She was tall. She was completely bald. She was fresh out of recovery from her mastectomy. Now, being a breast amputee made her no less of a woman to me. I mean, those lumps of flesh across her chest made breasts, but breasts have never made a woman. And breasts never made she. And she, she held her head high with a sense of peace in her eyes that could not be denied and could not be described or explained if I tried, sustained by her sense of faith and her sense of pride as she began to walk. You could sense it in her stride. Now, she stuck her chest out and dared your eyes not to notice that the disappearing act was a fact and not some hocus pocus. That's how I came to hear what she said to a man who came near to offer his condolences. She said, I want you to understand and please know this. Yes, I have second guessed God and at times asked why. And yes, Alone in the dark, I oft times cry, but when my eyes are blessed to greet a new day, I understand I have to live at least two days today. And I understand in some way this is all in God's plan, so I've laid my burdens down and taken up God's hand. Because when the chemo goes long, and I'm not so sure that I can go on, God gives me a shoulder I can lean and rely on, and what I don't want anymore in sure. And I'm not so sure that I can endure. I fall to the floor, not wanting to die, but not truly understanding what I'm living for. Not understanding who I am, not understanding what am I to do. That's when God takes me in his arms and, and he carries me through. And yes, people love comparing me to the strong and the brave from Ali to MLK. But what I do is not brave because I, just like they, do what I have to do. Step in my doctor's shoes, you'll see neither my shoes nor my soul have walked an easy road. But I remember being told, it's not the path you choose, it's the path that chose you. The same quandary faced Luke, Mark, John, and Matthew. So I laugh at those who view this as a tragedy. It seems sad, you see, but I used to live the life of sad, you see. So don't be sad for me, this had to be. Sometimes the buildings destroyed in catastrophes were simply blocking some things you had to see. And right now, let me clear up some of the fallacies associated with my malady, though the chemo leaves me weak. My soul is so complete that even when I cannot speak, you can see, feel, and hear me through my smile. And when this earthly host is gone and my ghost is carried home, I'll live on through a poem and be reborn as a child floating down the Nile. Though I may have cancer, cancer will never have me. Bought with one breast, I am more and no less than any woman you will ever see. I am yesterday, I am tomorrow, I am now and forever me. 
I never asked you to pity or revel me. Never asked for your part in the revelry. My mind is more concerned with the current turns taken in society. You know, just the other week, I saw the passion of Christ on a movie screen. I saw his pain depicted in some very moving scenes, but if I can't find the passion of Christ in everyday human beings, then 300 mil in ticket sales, what does it all mean? Understand that these infants, these seeds that we've sown will grow into little visions of we. My trials and tribulations have shown it's so much bigger than me. I'm trying to see these acorns grow into bigger and better trees, and I would give the other breast if I thought that would help you to see and believe. And on that note, she turned to me. She gave a smile. She took her leave. And she was oh so beautiful. This is Elena Huff Tucker, and I'm reading a, a piece that I performed for another local Atlanta writer's um, book release party. Uh, John Carroll was releasing a book of blackout poetry and asked um, some buddies to come read some pieces at his book release. Um, and I was also already booked on another project for John, as he and Laurel Relier, um do Transgression, a sort of um, literary theater event in Atlanta once a year. Um, I was cast as um, Dorothy Gale in their um, Lost in Oz show, uh, a sort of twisted take on The Wizard of Oz. Um, so I used the opportunity at John's book release to um, sort of do a character study for what I wanted to do with Dorothy Gale. Um, we knew we wanted to take Oz somewhere different, somewhere more, um, psychological horror. <laughs> and, uh, so I wanted to sort of get inside Dorothy's mind and see if I could, um, if I could understand her as like a, a young teenage girl, what she's going through and how maybe all of this is in her imagination and she created it all herself. So forgive my thick southern accent. Um, this is Prologue, The Calm Before. Something's coming. I feel it. I can't explain how I know, but I know. Nothing is different that I can see, but something has changed somewhere. And I know that I'm right, because I hear the dogs at night barking from their backyards far away. They're getting the word out about something. I wish I knew what. I laid out in a field yesterday and watched the sky, checkered all over in blue and white like a gingham dress, looking for some kind of sign that I was right, that the winds were changing. But it was the same sky as yesterday. Though I did feel some kind of prickling in the air, I'm pretty sure it was just me. Aunt Em was angry. I was late. She asked where I'd been like she knew I'd been up to no good, but what could I get up to? I've always been good. I do my chores, I say, no ma'am, and yes sir, like a good girl should. But even so lately she seems cross with me most all the time, especially when Uncle Henry's around. She watches me with him, like a clerk at the general store watches me out of the corner of his eye to make sure I don't pocket any candy. Like somehow I could steal Uncle Henry away from her too, but how could I do that? Anyway... Uncle Henry seems displeased with me himself. 
He scowled at me all supper the other night, till he told Aunt Em it was about time she made me a new dress, as mine had gotten a bit snug in the bust. Aunt Em didn't like that one bit. I guessed it was because we didn't have the money for new clothes, or maybe she just didn't feel like making me anything on account of her being so cross with me over God knows what. But I said I'd like to make a new one myself. And they both seemed pretty content about that, so I reckon it weren't about the money after all. Uncle Henry gave me a whole dollar to buy fabric and said to go get something for school that'll last me a long time. I knew I should make something modest, but I kept daydreaming about Alice, floating down the rabbit hole in her pretty blue dress with its white pinafore, never fluttering up, staying so prim and tidy, even as her bottom landed in the dirt. Didn't she look so lovely sitting at the head of the table with the Mad Hatter's special guest? How lucky she was to be attired so rightly. One never knows when one might be invited to tea. I chose a blue and white gingham check as bright and clean as a noonday sky. Didn't take no time at all to sew it while Aunt Em was out into the circle-skirted pinafore outline on the pattern, unfolded on the table like a blueprint to a new me. And it was everything I hoped it would be, buttoned over my nicest white blouse with dainty blue socks. Oh, if only I had fancier shoes. But Uncle Henry did not like it. He yelled at me and said that I looked like a whore. I didn't see how. I thought I looked like Alice. Did he think she looked like a whore, too? She was just a girl like me. She didn't mean to get into any trouble when she chased after that gentleman rabbit. How could she know that the caterpillar man would make her doubt herself, or that the Cheshire cat would lead her astray? Was every pretty girl in a nice dress transformed into a whore in the eyes of every man or boy the very moment they should choose to look at her? I had to get away. In a trance, I made my way through the fields of tall grass where red poppies bursting out of their pods looked like drops of blood and headed for the pines in the distance that towered over the plains like an emerald green skyline of glittering skyscrapers. Could I hide away there and be unseen forever? But I couldn't make it. The city of green was farther than it seemed, and the sky was growing gray far ahead of the sunset. As the wind picked up, I gave up my hopes of refuge and headed for the house, while a breeze at my back blew me home. Last night, I woke from a dream in a fright. I'd chased a white rabbit into a pine forest and found him tumbled over a ledge into a creek, screaming like an infant with no way out. I waded in to save him, but as I closed my hands around his struggling body, he melted away. And it was then that I saw the blood on my hands, the river running red between my legs, soaking into my dress, and bleeding up, 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 until every white check was tainted with its sticky redness and every stitch of my pure white blouse had been made unclean. And I ran through the fields all the way home, while the faces of little boys leered at me from between the wheat. They smiled as I smeared blood on everything I touched, making everything dirty, making me feel dirty when they wouldn't quit looking at me. Hey you, what are you looking at? Ain't you ever seen a pretty girl before? I'm just trying to get home. Leave me alone. But there weren't no home when I got there. All the houses and tractors and barns and fences and mailboxes and gardens and everything great and small were all shooken up and strewn about like some little girl giant had upturned her dollhouse and all of her dollies. And though all were still, everywhere, there was the deafening sound of wind growing louder and louder as I searched for something familiar until I found her. And it was the sound of the phantom wind crushing my eardrums as I set eyes on Aunt Am crushed dead under a house that snapped me awake in an aching hollow of silence that I wanted to fill up with scream. 
And that's why I'm telling you all this. Because you weren't there. I needed to hold you when I woke in a sweat and found the red river made real in my bed. With an ache in my gut and no wound to be seen, I needed you to make me feel I could be all right. Though I'd ruin my white dress so they'd never come clean. I needed a friend by my side when Aunt M found my shame, when Uncle Henry was proved right. But you weren't there when I cried out for you in the night. You weren't there to keep me safe and warm. No, you, Toto, were out in the yard with all the other dogs, smelling blood and barking up a storm. There are so many shows with pieces just like the ones you've heard being produced all over Atlanta. Take some time, go see a show, and experience one of these pieces live.